Welcome to This Is Not A Meeting. We are a community talking about sobriety, recovery, and overcoming challenges every single day. Hey, we don't claim to be experts. We're just walking this journey with you, and we're trying to become our best selves the same way that you are. I am Scottage. Around the table, we have... Big Joe. Jimbo. Big Joe and Jimbo. And hey, I need to call uh, Big Joe out the same way that I did... uh, uh, Jimbo, Mr. 3000, a few weeks ago, we were just reminded that I called him out for being in a uh, Denver Broncos jumpsuit. And uh, <laughs> here sits Big Joe. Also known as a New York Knicks coat. Okay. Hey, call what you want. Same colors, man. I'm an NFL guy, okay? Uh, I don't follow much basketball. And there's uh, Big Joe just sitting there in his Denver Bronco colors once again, looking like he's on the sideline. He really said he thought, wants to look like Terrell Davis, but he doesn't. <laughs> I really thought you were going to tell everybody that I wasn't feeling up to par and I'm congested. And that's why my voice has changed a little wear bit. Wear something different and maybe I'll mention that. <laughs> but no, we're this is not a Denver, this is not a Denver Bronco <laughs> studio, man. This is not. It is a Raiders studio this, this in is, Pittsburgh. This is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wrap your head around that. For some reason Scott likes the Oakland Raiders. Shouldn't it be Las Vegas? Hey, if Raider it wasn't Rats. if it wasn't for a fibula, I'm pretty sure Super Bowl was in our was in our path this year. Just saying. <laughs> You break, you break a quarterback's leg, a lot just, of things change. You should have saw Jim's face right there. It was priceless. I had to wrap my head around that. I was like, whoa, way too soon for that. But okay. I'm just saying. I disagree. Let's move on. You, he is they were such in the playoffs. Answer. Sure, they were. They were. I agree. They weren't going to win the whole thing. I said they could have made it to the Super Bowl. They had the talent. They have the talent for that. If they would have went into New England, they would have been manhandled. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah, a lot like the Steelers were. Yeah, but we got there. You <laughs> lost to Houston. We lost to Houston because somebody broke quarterback. our quarterback's leg and we had a third stringer in well, there. The Raiders have been to New England before. Yeah, I think there was a famous game called the Tuck Rule game there, wasn't there? Uh, <laughs> seriously? Seriously, I am still bitter about that, man. You and Charles Woodson. The tuck rule. You and Charles Woodson. Tuck rule. <sighs> That's funny. This is always a fun topic. <laughs> you know, I do like to ride the fence. You do but, like to ride the fence. But, but you you make very strong choices in regards to the Steelers the, and the Raiders. Yes. And um, <laughs> when it, it comes to my sports teams, I don't ride the fence. It might, it might have to do. Life, might have something to do with you having uh, tattooed yourself with the Steelers <laughs> emblems. I mean, that's you kind of have, you're committed for the rest of your life on that one. Um, they do cover ups, and it's the Grateful Dead. But I just want to say, uh, Mister Pittsburgh Steeler Antonio Brown pretty much fell flat on his face against New England. Yeah, I feel bad for him just signing a seventy million dollar contract. Seventy eight, I thought. Wasn't oh, well, it? it's tough to fall on your face and. On the other side of it, gets seventy eight million. Yeah, Hopefully, the, he's learned from the experience in the. Did he AFC signed with the Steelers yeah. for seventy eight million. Yeah, oh, yeah, but him and uh, and wow. Le'Veon Bell, they signed them both like giant contracts. Le'Veon Bell's just a one year deal until they work something out long term. But he's going <coughs> to make. He close signed to, like a fifty some million. Uh-uh. Just yeah, 15. he's the highest paid. Oh, it's per year because he he's, the, he's the highest paid running back running back in the league right now. Huh. And um, but yeah. I think that's smart. I mean, not to go off on the sports tangent too far, but I don't see his career being very long. Well, you don't want to sign up for a a long contract because next thing you know, he'll be getting high and getting suspended. So, Thank you for bringing basketball to the right topic. (laughs) 
Um, yeah. So anyway, so um, I'm happy for them that they're both su- succeeding and doing well in their lives. You know, good for them. It kind of does touch on what we were going to talk about, though. Ironically, that Joe's brought that up. But did when Le'Veon Bell puts himself first and gets high and puts himself at risk mm-hmm. and is going to be facing a suspension of four games at the minimum the next time he does get high and tests and fails. Is he selfishly doing that? And obviously he is because he's putting the other 51 of his teammates at risk without him being out on the field. Right. So that kind of leads into you wanted to bring up a viewer, sent us in a comment. It kind of goes hand in hand with that where is it at this point completely neurological where he doesn't consider one iota the other 51 teammates? Is it all about just getting high? Well, I don't know. Let's talk to Martavis Bryant. Um, <laughs> That's another tough one, right? <laughs> the guy who missed the entire season because of this. And Gordon, right? He's been out a couple years now. Gordon. Yeah, he's trying to get uh, the wide receiver from the Browns. He's trying to get reinstatement. Oh, 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 that's right. I forget all about that the Browns even have players. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's easy to not remember that they have a team. Uh, except Terrell Pryor is out there, so any any Ohio State fans can uh, can keep track of him there. He, want, he said he wants to stay a Brown, which shows you just how um, unma- he unmarketable Ohio he just much. might be. <laughs> Well, it kind of shows that uh, he may not be marketable, you know? Um, anyways, yes, Melissa from Texas actually posted this on our on our uh, website a while back um, and said, the problem is, uh, she quoted you, Joey. She said, the problem is when it doesn't feel good, but you keep doing it, right? So so from, an, from a person that's caught up in the midst of it, there are times when it doesn't feel good, but you just keep doing it. You keep going back, even though it doesn't feel good. This is the this is the quote that she pulled out of out of uh, the deal, um, but then she said uh, she said that this question has has really kind of been uh, been making her think a lot. Um, that it doesn't feel good. You're hurting those you love. You're destroying relationships, but you keep doing it. Why? You know, and I think that why question it might change for everybody. You know, as far as a difference, but but it seems like there there would be certain similar threads that are running through what's keeping you what's keeping you going back even though life around you is is going down and and you can kind of say i don't know maybe maybe you can make the argument to say that it's that you're not really paying attention That's, to those things that are that are falling apart but every once in a while you look around and you say life sucks there's, there's got to be those moments where where every once in a while you look around and you say maybe it's you know you you woke up the one morning and you're like, man, your head's in your hands going, this sucks. Why am I doing this? But you're back at the bar by noon. Right. So, Is that the disease aspect of it then? That's where I always come to because now that I got a little over nine years sobriety, looking back on it because there were so many times where I wanted to quit and I was drunk by noon and I couldn't figure out why. Even now, all these years later, looking back, I still don't have an answer why I did it because I definitely didn't want to drink. But before I knew it, I was again. So I don't know why I kept going. Was that the disease portion of this malady that we have where I'm, my body was in need of that alcohol? Did it get to that point? So like I didn't consciously every day question why I was doing it and why I was hurting all those people around me. But at the same time, I was getting drunk by noon. So like it's a hard thing to, for me to wrap my head around because 
there were so many times where I did during that time say, this sucks. I was living in an apartment that didn't have running water and electric. I was basically miserable, but every single day I was getting drunk. Why? And so they do, they go hand in hand. Like as I cracked that first beer, I wasn't thinking about all the people I was hurting. It was all about just let's get numb to this whole feeling that's going on around me. I don't know if that answers that at all. Obviously, it's such a big question, but I don't know why, still to this day, a little over nine years sober, why I continued to do it, why I continued to hurt the people around me. And it took me, unfortunately, to find my own personal rock bottom before I could finally start coming out the other side of it. And that leaves it very, very vague. And I'm getting a look from Scott where I don't know if I've answered his question or not. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be a true solid answer i mean the i guess that some of this goes back to our conversation about is it is it neurology or is it psychology you know i mean uh is it the nurture nature deal right well, i so, think a lot of the time like i can tell you when i was actively drinking that i'd be like oh this time i'm only having two you know and totally convinced myself that at that point i'm only gonna have two and now, that that meant you were sober right <laughs> <laughs> And I'm drinking two, and I'm done. And there might have only been two in the fridge, but as soon as I drank those two, guess what? It's game on. Like that thought before I even started is totally gone. One hundred percent. And it didn't matter that I had to be up at six o'clock at work the next day. It didn't matter that I might have had an event to go to at eight o'clock, or it just it none of that mattered anymore. It, it went straight back to the booze. It's like this is what I'm doing. Right. If I make it to for you then i'm glad but right. right now my number one priority is drinking well and how much of this then i guess um to take it to take it out of the the addictive chemical world how much of this is just maybe about selfishness you know because we can we can act in such a way that we're only acting for ourselves you know um, I mean, there's there's been points in my life where I have missed certain things be, that are huge to other people, and I know that I hurt them by not getting to that thing. But I was acting selfishly by pursuing my own my own stuff at that moment and saying, "Yeah, I'll get there, I'll get there, whatever. It's not a big deal, right?" But it was a huge deal. Um, I missed, uh, I you know, I mean, just to put some more specifics to it, but I missed a friend's high school graduation. Because I was doing my own thing and saying, "Yeah, I'll get there." You know, I was, but I was too consumed with with pursuing my own selfish motives at that at that moment than I was to try and get to that that moment where I could watch my one of my best friends walk down the aisle and get there and get their diploma. Right? I suck. You know, <laughs> I totally sucked in that moment, but I did it. But it was, and it wasn't, it wasn't because I was trying to hurt him or anything. It was just because I was choosing to pursue my own stuff at that moment. And, and I can't say that I sat there and said, okay, am I going to choose me or am I going to choose him? Or it wasn't, it wasn't that logical of a conversation. It was, it was just an internal drive to want to do what I wanted to do. And, and how much of it is that? You know, can can it can some of it be labeled there? Um, because I don't think that it goes into the realm of logic. You know, selfishness is huge, and like 
even like the whole functionality behind all that, like towards the end when things were so bad and I had to wake up to drink and thankfully there wasn't many friends or family in around me to see that. But I always made sure that I worked just hard enough the day before to have enough money in my pocket so I selfishly could get high and drunk again one more day. Mm. So it was like I'm waiting tables in a uniform that hadn't been washed in weeks. It was wrinkly, dirty, smelly, but I would throw it on, go wait some tables just so that I had enough money to get drunk and high the next day. <laughs> That's the most selfish thing. And like I didn't care about anybody else. Obviously not my customers, my coworkers, because I was a huge slob. <laughs> and I didn't care. Like that Did that was, make your tips go up or down? Oh, I can only imagine if I was actually clean what I could have possibly made. <laughs> <laughs> or were they taking pity on you and, and choosing to tip you a little more? Like, yeah, man, that, maybe this guy though. will get a bath if I yeah. give him a bigger tip. <laughs> Leave his tip in all quarters. He needs to get to the laundromat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, uh, but yeah, I hear what you're saying about the selfish thing. because, And then even when I first came into the... I know this isn't a meeting, obviously, but when I first started going to meetings, the, a lot of people told me that I had to be selfish about my sobriety. And I still am to this day. But the nice part about being selfish about my sobriety, the only way I can keep it is if I do help another alcoholic that still struggles. And that's the best part. And that's what keeps me sober every single day is by working with another alcoholic. So by staying selfish early on and working this program and absorbing everything that everybody was telling me, selfishly absorbing all that information, now gets me to a point where I can regurgitate on to somebody that's new in the program or just struggling with anything in life. I can actually sit down and actually listen to them and help them by explaining to them how I was able to stay sober. Right. And when you say helping another alcoholic, that doesn't mean you you go out and like, I've had people call me before and say, hey, can you get this person sober? Like, no, it doesn't work like that. Like they have to want it, and that's Such. a that. I mean, it's a big thing that. Uh, I mean, I've even caught myself trying to do it with people, where I want sobriety for them so bad that you keep stumbling over yourself, and why won't they get it? Why won't they get it? And because I don't have that sort of power, I'm not God. I'm not. I'm not a higher power. I got to let them decide for themselves and let them seek out the help. But at the same time, giving them the the pathway if they want to jump on. Like, if they want to hop in the car, I want the car to be there waiting for them. But I can't force it on anybody or make them have it, as so many people want to do. Like, they watch them. They watch them ruin their life. They watch them struggle and be depressed. And you just you can't do anything for them until that, that click where the head acts. Like, it actually clicks in their head like, I'm sick. I need help. Help me. You know, you can't just whack them along, whack them on on the top of the head and be like, "All right, I'm gonna fix you." Because you can't. I mean, they have to fix themselves. All we're here is to walk with them and show them how we did it, and that's hard for people to understand. That really is. I've noticed that in the time of uh, that I've been sober, been in sobriety, it's like <clears throat> people see what's going on in my life or other people's life that haven't been actively using or drinking i mean let's face it every everybody has someone in their life that could probably use a little help with their addiction you know i'd have to say what i don't know i'm a percentage guy but a lot of people these days know someone that's in active addiction or drinking and they want so bad to help them but the only thing they can do is 
show them the way or you can't force anybody to get get sober you just can't do it it's impossible right and i don't know that this question is about um or even this the direction of this question is about trying to force other people to do something i think that it's it's about how does the non-addict understand what's going on and um some of this is is probably more about uh down the road you know i mean there's there's current addicts and current people who are trying to get themselves clean that are maybe early on in the program that that can't even talk about this stuff yet um or or just kind of dealing with it on, on themselves which i we don't recommend that this this isn't what what we're offering here in the podcast is not an alternative to getting to getting a community built around you of of people wherever you can find that um be it at a be it at a group or at a at a program or or at a you know, church community or wherever you can find that community of people that are going to wrap themselves around you and try and help you to, to walk through this stuff while Use you're them selfishly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, we, this is not an alternative for that, for those folks, but, but how does the non addict wrap their heads around the fact that these, that an addict in their life is continually choosing and and some of it maybe is is the argument of saying is it a choice and i don't know that we go into semantics too much on that because there's probably an argument on both sides to say that there is a that it is a choice but then the other side to say that it's not a choice uh, because you're just so, so driven for that for that next fix you're driven for that next thing and again we it's not all about the addictive chemicals right we've talked before about how how it it's it can be shopping you know, I mean, it can be it can be whatever it is that's just this driving force in your life that's that says I I feel like I can't help it. This thing this thing owns me. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just I kind of had a flashback when I said that to what you know. It's funny how the brain works. Of how uh, whenever I was playing softball for the for the church league, and we would go to this one field. And it owned me, man. Every time I went, I I got bruised. I got I almost got injured on every time that we went to this stupid field because like it just it owned me. I had errors all over the place. Take me to any other field. I was never a great player, but I was at least an average player. Take me to this one field. I'm done. Was that a choice? Was that was that like a a psyching out that said, okay, I'm here, and so therefore my my play goes are. down. <laughs> You're a very competitive person, uh, but I'm not a superstitious person. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I am. I'm I'm only competitive on the sports fields. You know, catch me anywhere else, and I'm I'm usually not that big of a deal. Do you mentally buy in? And this is where my my tangent of this of the softball field comes into play. Does the person just mentally buy into the idea that I can't win this? You know, is it is it something about the the ground that you're on, the that that takes you and and pushes you into a particular direction? Or is it you caving to this to this mental idea that I can't win this battle, I'm gonna lose anyways, and that that drives you drives into those arenas, and so much of it for me, I mean, it relates to sports in in so many different ways, you know. But somebody who's not sports minded might have their own their own avenues. So I don't want to run into too many examples along those lines, but it's just that idea that. 
am am I owned by this thing or or do do I own it or does it own me? Well, I feel drugs and alcohol own me because I didn't overnight become in a studio apartment with no power and no water. That didn't happen overnight. That was months of neglect of the bills. That was months of me chasing the drugs and the alcohol more than the responsibility of paying the bills. So that's the way I kind of look at it where the drugs and alcohol definitely owned me for a good portion of it until I couldn't keep up with it anymore. When it finally got to the point where I just, it was life or death. So thankfully by hitting that rock bottom, I was finally able to accept the fact that the drugs and alcohol owned me. And then I could finally make a decision to go the other direction. But for several months, because like I said, the lights were cut off months before it was an actual issue. You know what I mean? Like I survived and still got drunk and high for many a day with no lights and no water. And so did my roommates. You know what I mean? So it wasn't a big deal. This isn't even figurative. This is the real deal. I sat for at least, I think, three to four months with no running water and no electricity. And you, you didn't feel I'm the sorry. need to change this? I I'm mean, sorry to laugh, Jim. No, yeah, I mean, back, it is comical. Honestly, you're, you're kind of describing what, what we typically see in movies and TVs as a crack house. Basically. But well, we were, you had that extension cord. You ran it out into the hallway to watch TV. Right. But only for like <laughs> What were Only you watching? Like, an, like what, what, what <laughs> made you feel like you had? This is but, what I have to see. This is what I need to run. I can't get one hour a Nash? No, no, Nash uh, Bridges. Nash Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> Love Don Johnson. <laughs> and we can laugh about it now, but, but I mean, yeah, the uh, being that moment had to be awful. But, yeah, and then like I mean, like I said, because when I finally did admit that I was definitely, it was definitely the drugs and alcohol that I was chasing after. When I finally put that stuff down and then the responsibility, it's just like, well, why don't we call the electric company and actually see what we owe? And that was very humbling to actually hear what the dollar amount was. But then we worked on saving enough money and we actually had within a month, the lights were turned back on. So it's like, that's a nice little reward of staying sober. I can actually pay a utility bill. <laughs> and like we talked about it before, the whole brushing of the teeth and taking the shower thing. That was a monumental thing early in my sobriety. Right. Because I finally stopped letting the drugs and the alcohol control me. I was the one that back in the driver's seat. So I can definitely see when somebody says, it's not a choice. It's drugs and alcohol fueled my life. For sure, those last six months when I was completely off the rails, everything was centered about where am I getting drunk or high the next time. So it was definitely controlling me and not the other way around. And I think I think everybody uh, would probably say that it was for different reasons, but after the fact, after you get sober, when I look back on it, I can honestly say that the resentment against my dad and not wanting to feel those feelings mm. definitely kept me drinking. I mean, I just, I, I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to feel it. And that was my escape. I mean, if I get drunk enough, I, I, I'd say that all the time. I would drink until i couldn't feel feelings anymore i mean what, was it was it feelings or or memories or like what like when you when you would get that blasted were you i think i was more pissed off okay because that i mean 14 years old i mean that was a big time in your life when you need your dad you know what i mean and uh, i was i was pissed like all those different events and i think i stewed over that for years and years and years and I, but I didn't, 
and in, in the act of when I was actively drinking and using, I didn't I didn't see that until I went back and relived it, and I could say, huh, I think that's why what it was. But you selfishly, well, you felt what your father did was selfish, obviously. Oh, one hundred percent. So then you yeah. turn around, and then for years, selfishly, you know what I mean? It's, like, it's amazing. <laughs> Like him taking his yeah. own life at that point, turning his back on his family, doing what he did. Now all of a sudden he's gone, and then all those consequences now happen. It's just like when you immediately like, well, I'll show how I'm going to be selfish. <laughs> Watch this. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy how that works. Yeah, definitely. So, but what I was getting at with that was, I feel that everybody might have their own little thing. What keeps them active? You know, right? And then once you hit a certain level, there is no turning back. It might not be that thing anymore, but it's like, like I said, it stops feeling good, and it's not working anymore for whatever, whatever you were drinking over or using over. It stops working, and it's not doing the job that you wanted it to do in the first place. And then it just comes habit and like maybe chasing it. Right. I mean, it would seem like it's it's the type of thing that you you get to a certain point where you say, "Well, this this is really not doing it for me." Like this is where for you maybe you said, "I I it's not killing off the feelings anymore." And so what do I need to do to to go to that place? Right. So ramp it up with more drugs, more alcohol. Right. right. Ramp it up with and, something else or that'll give you a different feeling. And for the person who's who's maybe got that spending addiction, where you're like, hey, I've got the the credit card is maxed out now. Crap, you know what? What do I do now? Well, I get another credit card. You know? Oh, I did it with gambling <laughs> rather than. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you're you're a much wealthier guy now that you've given up a lot of your stuff. Oh, you ain't shit. <laughs> I mean, from gambling to drinking to drugs to, I mean, I can find cigarettes. Cigarettes. <laughs> it was funny because cigarettes wasn't easy for me, but. I had I was standing in my driveway and just had that moment and I threw a half a pack away but I thought I had that moment a million times before I've th- thrown packs of cigarettes away lighters but I always manage to stop and get back right and I think the last time I wanted one is I related it with stress when I was very stressed upset uh, it helped me cope with it or at least I mm. thought it did that's what I had myself convinced because it doesn't help with any of that. But um, smoking, was, yeah, it actually does. The I thought reverse. that it does. I thought ni- nicotine kind of helps to. It jacks your heart rate up. And then when you're Joe and you have a coughing spree for ten minutes before and after the cigarette, well, that jacks your heart rate up. I would imagine. Right. <laughs> it's not really stress relieving when you're sitting there trying to grasp your next breath. <laughs> but, I, but I did. No, I'm so I did want one not too long ago. I guess it was a couple weeks ago. I was talking to one of my drivers who has also quit smoking, and he quit before me. And uh, he's like, Joe, if you got a cave doing addiction right now, stop and buy a $5 scratch off. He said, <laughs> because you're going to hate yourself if you smoke that cigarette. Right. <laughs> he's like, and I feel like you could get a better control over the scratching than you could over the cigarette. Because you, so. you just went cold turkey over the, over the uh, cigarettes. Right. I mean, at a certain point. After yeah. that one last half pack, you just you went cold turkey. That was it. It was gone. No, no patches. No, no nothing. I, I feel like that's the only way to do, do it. Do you feel like vaping is an is a 
adequate alternative or no? No, it's a, it's or a, the e-cigarettes or whatever they're called or the gum. I mean, everybody has their different paths, but you're still the the addiction's still there. I mean, you're still addicted to the nicotine, so you're chewing gum instead of smoking. The nicotine's still going into your system, right? And that's why I swear by that book that I was able to read, where he basically said like the reason the patches and the gums and all those things don't work is because you're still putting nicotine into your body. So when you're officially done with those things, your body's saying, whoa, wait, where's the nicotine? So that's why cold turkey, by stopping it all, you don't give your body the chance to slowly wean off a drug by keeping that drug in there. You know what I mean? It's one of those deals where, oh, well, we'll step your patch down. We'll start with a big one, then a medium one, then a very little one. Oh, right, well, right, when you right. take that little patch off, all of a sudden the body's like, oh, I still need that little guy. Wait, wait. <laughs> But well, we, or you could go that the way that you the of reading that one book, that book, like I, what you said, you know, the easy way. The easy so way. you read one one page a day. That's so all you I can did. St- yeah. <laughs> stretch it out. It was a hundred and eleven page book. It took me about six days. weeks to read it. But by the time I got done to go back to that, by the time I got done talking to him and he was make, cracking the joke about you need to scratch, that that urge was gone. Mm. Like I, I didn't want to do either one of them again. It was just like that little. It was. 10, 20 seconds long, maybe a minute, you know, but right. just talking it through it with him totally Which at that point, it. At that point, the argument is that it it's a choice. Right. Because if you can just overcome that moment of temptation or, you know, for whatever word but you want to say. But something's clicking in the brain. That that it, all you had to do was, was take a different, con- you got a conversation going with somebody and, and through that conversation, that urge was able to vent itself out and and it was gone where if you hadn't had that conversation and i would then have been sitting now it's probably it's stewing in you and it's it's climbing and it's becoming a kind of an ocd moment <laughs> where you, <laughs> you're just not letting anything else get not into your uh into your brain and now you see that as your only outlet so at that point the argument is much stronger to say it's a choice that that you own it, not it owns you, and the more that you dwell on it, the more that the more that it just gets a stronger foothold. And we uh, often talk about the stinking thinking on here. And if you dwell on that stuff for too long, there can be some adverse effects to that. Obviously, you can return to the cigarettes, or you can return to the shopping. And oh well, maybe if I get this one more credit card with zero percent interest for six more months, I can start doing. And you start playing these mind games in your head. And all of a sudden, that addiction or whatever it is is back driving the ship. So by taking that step back, and I relay everything, even though this is not a meeting, I relay everything I've learned to the meetings and that 12-step program where I'm able now, thankfully, by hitting rock bottom, I'm able to ask for help. And it's been the mm-hmm. biggest reward of the program I've ever received where if things trip me up nowadays, I can actually ask for help. And it's a fantastic thing. And I'm selfishly feel kind of bad sometimes for the people that are still out there struggling that don't think asking for help is the answer. But it's a reoccurring theme that comes up on all of our episodes and all of our interviews. All these people and all of us in this room have all had the ability now to finally ask for some help, even if it's a higher power or if it's just another alcoholic or whoever it is, the fact that we're able to finally realize, hey, this is leading my life and I don't want it to anymore. How do I stop this? And by doing that, 
things slowly get better. Well, for the for the non-addict though, do you have any any See, I can't concept? relate to the non-addict. That's the hard part for me. No, I mean not not relate in that way, but but I think you can empathize and you can also have seen enough I mean, you guys have seen enough other people that have been addicts and, and the struggle that they have with their family and, and the the stories that come from that stuff. How would you um, how would you help them to understand this this is what's going on? You know, and you can't you can't force somebody to become sober. You you can't. You can't make them not make that choice or, or not have that next hit of whatever whatever their substance is or or addiction is regardless if it's an action or a or a substance or whatever but you can understand this and maybe this is the thing that'll help you well i was going to go back to that that cigarette when i wanted to pick that cigarette up now i knew that it would hurt my family cuz my wife and my kids they don't want me smoking i mean because of all the complications or my mom or hell, my grandparents have been on me about smoking. I think since I started, <laughs> I mean, so all those people out there would have been hurt if I would have picked that cigarette up. That's not what I was thinking. Whenever I wanted that cigarette, I was thinking truly about myself. So, I mean, it, it, it's selfish. I mean, I wasn't going to smoke that cigarette. Like, maliciously like trying to hurt the people in my lives you know that thought wasn't even in my head that it was it would crush them not crush them but they wouldn't they'd be upset you know that thought never even crossed my mind i just know that where i was at at that point what i don't know what was bothering me at the time whether it was something at work or it could, it could have been anything that had me stressed out to that level that i needed that it was solely for me and nothing else would have mattered at that point. I just thought the cigarette would help. But the aftermath of that cigarette, <clears throat> and I'm using this because it was so recent within the last month, I would have been so bummed at myself to get two or three months in and smoke that one, and it would snowballed me mm. into two packs a day. I'm talking within 24 hours, I'm back to two packs a day because I've quit like this before. And I don't know what made me quit longer this time than the last, but... Um, well, you do have more motivation now. <clears throat> yeah, a little bit. You know, I mean, you've got, you got uh, a family, you've got, you've got a wife, and you've got kids. And Well, he kind of touched and, on your answer, too, though, where he... Uh, uh, so basically, the person that's non-addict that keeps, unfortunately, these loved ones that keep doing this, and they don't know what they can do, Joey basically just conveyed it beautifully about that cigarette where... All those things around, all that support, that didn't mean anything at that point. So these people, the non-addict, have to realize they're not doing this to maliciously hurt you. We're not drinking to get back at you. Like it's that's where I think it's the disease illness portion of it where like I didn't drink thinking, oh, this will show them. Like at that point, like the disease was so forefront, like Joey, that cigarette, that was the only thing that mattered. It wasn't so that non-addict has to realize where it's something greater. There's nothing magically that you can do. Unfortunately, be there for support when they don't want it and they come to you confused, angry, pissed off at the world. I don't want to use anymore. I don't want to drink anymore. When they finally convey that to you, that's when action can take place. But the whole time thinking like, 
why are they doing this to spite me and all this stuff? Like, that's not it. There's a bigger underlying factor, in my opinion, and I believe it's the illness or the disease portion of it, where as of non-addict, you can sit there and realize, okay, they're not purposely using to upset me. When they are ready for help, hopefully they will ask me. Now, after you uh, drink or after, like, say I would have smoked that cigarette and what what did it, what would it have taken? Five minutes. I, I smoked my cigarettes in two and a half. Um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, after I smoked it, I would have sat there and just I would have thought about all those people. So yes, they would have popped into my head, but not during the the cigarette or the beer or whatever. I mean that that comes after, you know. It that initial burst and when you restart the addiction, um. That doesn't matter, but I'm going to say a couple beers down the line or a couple cigarettes down the line, all those thoughts will start pumping into your head. Oh, I just hurt my family. I just hurt my grandparents. I just hurt my mom by smoking that cigarette. Now you're, now you're bummed. Now you're starting to depress yourself, right? <laughs> so you smoke another one. You know, you got all the, you're playing this head game. And so you're like, damn, I'm bummed out and stressed out. I need another one. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, 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 it's, it's crazy, but that that's that's the train of thought of it. Right. And I know we're, again, not a meeting, but the people that are out there that are the non-addicts that are listening to this show, the non-alcoholics, the great part is there's programs out there for people like you as well where they provide a solution on how to handle the day-to-day of living with somebody that may be an alcoholic or an addict. And I'm a proponent of every 12-step program in the world. And I'll say it from the highest mountaintop in the world, it saved my life. So I will always, first and foremost, if somebody's struggling with something, I bet there's a recovery group that you could probably go to that might help you out with your problem. <laughs> that's just what I think. Well, and that is huge. That's huge to get a, a community around you that shares the similar issues that you're dealing with. Absolutely. I mean, I... <laughs> we have achieved an absolutely. <laughs> now, when I came out of the casino the one night and... You're supposed to call 1-800-GAMBLER if you think you have a problem. I've called that number four or five times on the way home from a casino. <laughs> but and I think only twice, uh, I'm going to say once, I let it go all the way through where I actually talked to somebody. And what do you think the first thing they tell you is? Where's your location? Tell them Pittsburgh. They start telling you where the Gamblers Anonymous meetings are. <laughs> I mean, so they're referring you right into a 12-step program. And then right. as soon as you're talking, and they want to make sure they, they ask you a bunch of questions like you're not suicidal or you know what I mean? And once you get through all their, their main, their questions, they're referring you, you need to get to a meeting tomorrow. You need to get to one now if it was during the day, but my trips were always like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but you also took the next step and I only say this because I know you, uh, you, you took the next step of actually having yourself banned. Oh, that was a that was a funny day. I came home and lost my ass, and Jimbo was there once again for me because <laughs> I didn't have a license at the time. And Jim's like, "I'll drive you down there right now. Let's go bar yourself." And I'm like, eh, "Okay." So we get we get down there, and we're in the room, and you can bar yourself for one year, five years, or lifetime. And Jimbo is sitting there like Jim. What do you think? He goes, lifetime, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> now, the crazy thing, because I've tried to get off this self-ban list. I'm one of 5,000 people in PA. Now, tell me that's not sick. 
I'm trying to get off this self ban list because I think I got it figured out. Obviously, I don't. Because um, I drive an hour and a half to West Virginia to gamble now. Um, <laughs> but um, at least it's not 20 minutes down the road. But the one year and the five year, you can get off of that list. The lifetime. You can't even get a lawyer and get off of that list. Like, I am not allowed in PA casinos for my life. But a lot of people may not even know that you can do that for yourself. You know what I mean? If if you have that moment of of understanding to say, wow, I really need to do this. And you you get the courage up and that, like, this, that's not a publicized deal. No, because they don't want you to, they want you to come down and keep losing all your money. Now, one other thing that Jim, though. Jim's sitting over there laughing. Jim knows that he had me when I asked him for help. I mean, he had me in that moment. He put. He's like, "Let's go." We. I mean, was it a Saturday morning or something? I can't even think so. It was definitely during the. eh, It was daylight when we went in there. Right. Jim's like, "I'm. I'll drive you down there right now. We're putting you. Not we're putting you, but you can put yourself on the self ban list, and then you don't have the choice in the matter no more." Right. If I go into the casino, I get arrested for trespassing. If <laughs> that is hard, and I go to jail. Yeah. If I make Felony it into the casino and I'm gambling and I hit a jackpot, they don't give me the jackpot. They cuff me and take me to jail. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I have no motivation to go in there. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, you can take measures to. I obviously knew I had a problem, and that's what I had to do. I mean, it's crazy how the addict's mind works. And if I think if you can channel your addictions into the right things, then you're all right. But you can also take it overboard, like when I was working out or when I was starting my business. I mean, you can take anything to the next level. Right. And not even know you're doing it until you're already that deep well and maybe that's maybe that's another aspect of of things that we don't even hardly ever touch on is um people's uh consumption i guess with their with their own body uh you know physical appearance um you know there's eating there's eating issues there's there is there's workout issues you know where somebody hits the gym four or five hours a day and their and their family's going where are they you know it's because they're just they're so consumed by getting that next little tiny muscle on their calf you know right or or whatever i mean everybody's got their own thing that that when you're not involved in it you can throw you can throw those lines like i just threw that was probably uh not a cool thing to say but (laughs) but there's these things where you can you can take anything to that level of of just and for us, I mean, at least for me, I call it OCD. You know, it's that OCD mindset where I'm just I can become consumed with anything, um, and I'm not concerned. The logic doesn't come into play. It's about that next whatever, you know. And and maybe it changes in your life. Maybe it's not the same issue for for twelve years straight. Maybe it's that's what I was on eight months ago, but now I'm onto this thing. And and maybe the it's it's a deeper issue that's driving that. Um, maybe it's an escapism mentality. Maybe it's uh, you know just the the refusal to identify reality around you, or or embracing different things uh, that are there in your world. 
but um, but whatever it is, we've those things are so numerous to try to get into um, that I I'm not sure that that we can even begin to try and name everything that could be on that list. And I think that even the folks who are trying to understand it for somebody else, take a look at your own life because there, there might be something in inside of your own life that you've got that type of a mentality for. Maybe you're not the alcoholic brother that you, that you've got, but maybe you're the workaholic brother that he looks at and says, I can't believe that guy spends, you know, 80 some hours a week in the office and never sees his family and never, never, sees his kid play ball and never you know doesn't take whatever you know i mean there's there's different trade-offs for everything that we do every time we say yes to something we're saying no to something else right so uh it's not an easy thing to to necessarily wrap our heads around um but it is something that that uh i think with enough introspection we can start to understand they've got their thing but i've got mine and it's it's an easy enough thing to do um so we hope that, uh, that we've gotten to that topic uh, well enough to, to give everybody an understanding. Like they said, there is, there's um, certainly recovery groups. Find a community around you that you can get involved with. We selfishly want you to download this episode, all the other episodes, and tell all your friends and family. That's right. So those are our selfish concepts. Uh, we are sponsored by Big Joe's Towing and FTBA. Uh, thank you so much for for that sponsorship. We we love the fact that we're able to do this thing, and uh, by the through the generosity of those groups, we are able to do so. Uh, FTBAteam.com is the website, and and you can find Big Joe's Towing on Facebook. Um, go to the website. Uh, this is not a meeting.com. You can find links to download this podcast and all the others. Like Jimbo already said, uh, you can find. Uh, links to all of that stuff and then subscribe and uh, and leave us some some reviews we're, we're loving getting the feedback from from you and uh, and we'd love to get some more just because it helps us to to understand how we can best keep uh, keep you in mind as we as we go forward and, and put some of these uh, these topics together for you uh, that said is there anything else you guys uh, you guys want to say have a good week all right we love you Bless you. Oh. Why don't you start that over again there, Jim? That was a cough and a sneeze at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had that happen before. Oh. My whole throat. Oh, that was weird. Uh, excuse me.